0: DJ PK, time to talk Utah football with a former Ute quarterback, Frank Dolce. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. Frank joins us on the Smart Rain Guest Line. Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. And that's for you who was watering the sidewalks yesterday. You know who you were. Fix it. Frank, good morning.
1: Good morning, DJ. Good morning, PK. I uh, hope you guys are doing
0: well. We are oh, doing BJ, well. Yeah.
1: Yes. DJ, are you? Did you? Did you? Uh, you're, did you lose your voice? You sounded a little hoarse.
0: Every once in a while, yeah the the uh, the old uh, the old throat just sticks. I don't know what happens. So <laughs> I, well, it's because me,
1: me, me. you are you use that instrument so often. You need a rest day.
0: <laughs> I do need a rest day. You're right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Absolutely. PK, do you ever get back to the South Bay?
2: Oh, of course, absolutely, yeah. In fact, uh, because of Pac-12 Media Day, I go at least once a year, if not oh, multiple yeah. times. I have been, uh, since I moved 28 years ago, I've probably been back there 60 times. I mean, my wife's stepmother still lives there. Uh, her father died 30 years ago, so uh, yeah, absolutely. I And this last trip, I bought a T-shirt down in Hermosa that says <laughs> the South Bay on it. And I wear it proudly, Frank, proudly. Nice. Oh, man, I need to find that shop. I need to get one of those. A, and a friend of mine uh, yesterday lives down there, and he took a picture. He likes to taunt me. He took a picture from one of the bar restaurants in Hermosa looking out towards the pier in uh, the water and of course it was a bright sunny day no smoke or any of yeah. that stuff and I texted him yeah. and I said yeah Hermosa always works for me and why don't you go back and shut up <laughs> <Right>. yeah yeah <He's, laughs> absolutely he's got I pe- agree.
0: he's got people and places scattered basically from Manhattan to Newport
1: yeah Manhattan my, Beach my to brother, Newport Beach yeah my brother we grew up in Culver City but my brother has just moved to Manhattan Beach um uh, mm. So I'm, yeah, I'm feeling the same way, like a little, a little jealous about that
0: circumstance. (laughs) Yeah. They don't text you pictures though when they're stuck in traffic because it took them, uh, took them an hour (laughs) and a half to go 10 miles. So
1: four hours to get from, yeah. I used to drive from my house in Culver city, which is 12 miles, about 12 miles away from El Camino junior college. And if I got there in an hour, I was doing pretty well.
2: <laughs> How did you end up going to El Camino because there's other JCs that you could have gone and played for. Did you, I mean, obviously they had a great football program under Featherstone. Was it the lore of the football program?
1: Well, so so uh, so Santa Monica Junior College was closer. That would yeah. have been like the, no the more reasonable, I guess, one, but but football-wise Santa Monica wasn't nearly what El Camino was no. at that point. Yeah, and and so I—it's so funny because I happened to be at uh, an awards bank, banquet after my senior year with my head coach in high school. Fred Fuller was his name, and at, at, as the banquet was concluding and we were running out, this little guy with you know always looks like he's running a thousand miles an hour comes over and introduces himself and says, "Hey, I'm John Featherstone. I'm the head coach." And, El Camino Junior College, we'd love to have you come and take a look. And that was the start and the end of my recruiting there <laughs> <laughs> to El Camino Junior College. I immediately said, yeah, I'd like to go play for that guy. And that was it. Simple. The,
2: the, the, the simple, innocent days.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Isn't that the truth? I don't know what in the world would have happened if he said, and we have this name engine like like this program (laughs) and you can do this and you can do that. I mean, I would have, my mind would have exploded.
0: (laughs) So I'm curious what your number one question is about the youths heading into the opener with Weber state. What do you want to know?
1: I, well, I have I think I have a lot of questions. Um, I, I, it's probably too simple to say is I want to know if the quarterback is, is the real deal. Um, but I, but I, but I think that position is so critical for Utah that I, I guess that's I'm, I'm most curious about that. I feel like I know everything or I have a sense of everything else that's, that's happening on the offensive side. Like we, we, we're, we, we're concerned about the offensive line and who's, you know, which five are going to be there. I know they named five or six, but, but which five are going to be there and which guys are going to work out. And, um, I mean, I think there's I'm, – I'm a little soft on the wide receiver group. I think there's some talent there, but not maybe not the depth of talent that we were hoping for. Love the tight end group, and we're just going to be running back by committee for two or three games until, until someone emerges. And maybe no one really emerges, but – but if you run a two quarterback a two two running back system, excuse me, then then you know, even if you kind of work three guys in there, that's a little more difficult. But you're you'll be okay. So it still comes down to quarterback play for me if if Utah's gonna be really successful on the offensive side.
2: Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. I think I I suppose for me the biggest eyebrow raiser is the offensive line because Receivers, it's been the position has been the same for several years now. We're waiting for some big time guy to emerge, and it really hasn't happened. Doesn't mean they're not good, but we haven't had somebody, uh, Nikhil Harry type player. You throw the ball and he makes a play. So I expect the same there. Tight ends, I'm very very confident. Running back, uh, I'm I'm okay with because I knew this is the way it was going to be. Once the Ty Jordan situation happened, it was all right. Who are they going to get in the transfer portal? Because they're going to get guys. They got two guys from two big name schools. They got a junior college transfer and a holdover who didn't get a whole lot of opportunity. So uh, I just have to go on their history. But uh, the offensive line surprises me that on the Monday before the game, Kyle Whittingham is saying we're not sure. I'm wondering, too, Frank, though, if, say, it was – it probably wouldn't be this case, but if you were to open with a conference opponent, would you be a little more sure? Are you a little unsure because it's Weber State and you're expected to win? I think Utah has that luxury
1: of playing Weber State first uh, because, you. See, I mean – even if Utah is uncertain, unsettled at the offensive line, um, if you just go in kind of talent for talent, you should be able to overcome that um, right. because because you should be more talented up front. And so I think you do have that luxury. I think that's an excellent observation of of saying, well, we're just going to, you know, we're going to try out a couple guys. We're going to try out a few guys up front. Uh, on the defensive line, That it's never an issue because Utah rotates like, eight guys every year. So we're never concerned about the starters on the defensive line because there's a natural rotation that occurs with that group, but you can't do that with the offensive line. It's, it's interesting offensive line. It seems like you have to have five settled. And even if you insert one new guy, then you're a little nervous about what's going to happen on the, on the next play. Same with the quarterback decision, just two quarterback system never works. So, so it is, it is interesting that that's where we are with the offensive line. And, and you know, as much as I like Coach Harding, and I think as much as Coach Whittingham puts all of his trust in Coach Harding, that's a position group that I think all, a lot of us were hoping would be more settled at this point um, under Coach Harding. Like we would feel like there's a solid five every year with a couple guys who are in the battle for a starting position. and it hasn't materialized the way i think we were hoping it would on the on the offensive front
0: is there a receiver you trust to be a breakout guy i keep thinking i thought this about linebackers for a long time and it's finally happened hey linebackers ought to want to play behind that defensive line and yeah. that's really you know over the it's maybe it's evolved a little bit but it's definitely happened right they have upgraded their linebackers over where they were a decade ago And so I keep thinking it's going to happen with wide receiver. Like, everybody wants to go somewhere where they can be the guy. Well, go to Utah and be the guy. I mean, everybody throws the ball 25 times a game. If you're the number one receiver, how many times are you going to be targeted? Who cares if they don't throw it 40 times a game? You know, you'll get yours. I keep thinking it's going to happen. Obviously, I haven't been right yet. But PK will tell you, I'm stubborn. You know, I'll keep banging my head against the wall. Is this
1: the year? I don't. I don't know that this is the year. I mean, I guess uh, – I, I don't – I mean, I don't think that – I think Covey's going to be really good. I don't think he's going to have a breakout year uh, um, and and maybe set the world on fire. I, I don't know what, exactly what that means, set the world on fire, but he's going to be good. Um, I think I think Solomon Enos is a guy that has, is super talented, and, and maybe if he has an opportunity to catch – six, seven, eight balls a game, then then maybe we see something different out of him. Uh, I really thought that when Utah got a hold of Darren Carrington, and Carrington had a pretty good year, and he was just, I I don't know, he just was a different guy. Like, when you watched him run routes, catch the ball, do things after he caught the ball, you could just tell that this was a different guy in 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 the Utah receiving core. I thought that maybe there would be this, you know, Darren Carrington effect, and maybe a couple guys would say, hey, look, you know, what you're, what you're saying, D.J., I can go there and catch 10, 15 balls a game. I'm going to get – I'm going to be the spotlight in the wide receiver group. That's not a bad thing at Utah. So uh, – but it, but it didn't materialize. I, I know I, – is it just – is it too much to ask that Utah get a C.D. Lamb – Every once in a while, and just have have that guy running around. I mean, my heavens! USC could spare one of their four or five receivers is going to end up in the in the NFL. Um, so I I don't know. I I I don't see a breakout guy necessarily. I think it's a it's a it's a group that's athletic and has potential. And still, is the biggest you know offensive line wide receiver is still the biggest question mark on the offensive side.
2: Alright Frank, then how much of that is simply reputation as to why they can't get it because it seems like they can get everything else? It's a really it's a really
1: good question and it's really easy for an opposing coach to recruit against Utah in the wide receiver group because the numbers just don't support Utah doing anything other than being really good up front and running the ball and establishing the run game and then you know, offsetting it with a, with a decent passing game. Um, and not, not, you know, and when I say decent passing game, it's like, you know, average type, type of numbers, um, that are, that, that wouldn't, wouldn't impress anybody who's trying to, to make the next step to the NFL. So, um, I think it's probably more, I, I'm sure that the coaching staff is out, you know, scraping the dirt to try and find the, the right guy at the wide receiver. But reputation is, it's just a little bit difficult to overcome. i That's right. Like, I feel like Utah needs uh, an, a, another Darren Carrington, another Steve Smith, another Kevin Dyson, but then really, you know, really utilize that guy and highlight that position to, to say, look, yeah, we run the ball and that's going to be the foundation of our, of our offense, but, um, but look, you can be a star at the, at the wide receiver group. I mean, it's the same, a little bit the same for Stanford. No, no There's hardly ever a wide receiver that comes out of Stanford because the reputation and the history is, well, we're just going to be really good up front. We have a great tight end or two and we're going to run the ball. And right. you know, that's going to be it. And we just need a quarterback who's kind of a game manager. We don't need a superstar. So yeah. Reputation, I think, is definitely the the issue here.
0: Okay, you can say Stanford, but, I mean, Simi Fajoco is on the Wasatch front, and he goes to Stanford and he gets drafted. So, yes, Stanford, but... Uh, And three years earlier, J.J. Arcego-Whiteside got drafted.
1: Yeah, so... So even Stanford. There's one... I know, you say even Stanford, but there are probably... Probably other factors at play. I mean,
0: I get it. Uh, Stanford is one of a kind. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to have to go there. I mean, no, it's my, true. You know, it's, my yeah. Parts with Utah. But, but, but I have to be honest, if, if one of my kids said, Hey, Dad, you know, I, Stanford's offering and, and Utah's offering and BYU's offering, um, what do you think? Well, I mean,
0: you think Stanford? Uh,
2: yeah, see, that's a pretty. Uh, you, a you pretty, think Stanford, or I will kick you out of the house, and you will be disinherited immediately. <laughs> Come now, on, I'll throw San Diego State in the mix, and then
1: we might have a, <laughs> you know we might
2: have. It. <laughs> and every kid who gets a, a full scholarship to Stanford, their acceptance rate is low compared to others, but the fa- the number of people who get offered versus the people who accept the scholarship, it's extremely high. Yeah, so put them aside. A first in the history
1: of collegiate admissions is is Stanford has a negative admission rate. (laughs) Yeah, there you go.
2: (laughs) 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 So as far as what they're going to show, basically, against Weber, uh, your offensive coordinator, your Andy Ludwig, how much do you put out there in the playbook? Because you've got the cat-and-mouse game with the next week, and you got to, You do have a new quarterback, although everybody has tons of film on him for all those starts in Baylor. But do you hold back a little bit? What do you do there? I think that the,
1: the playbook is thin uh, in terms of variety. Uh, but so, so, yeah, I mean, I guess holding, hold, hold back a little bit. But I, I, also, I also think you have to figure out who your running back is. Or you want to get some better idea who your running back is going to be uh, heading into the Pac-12, and and so you're going to get a lot of work out of that group, um, you know, 30, 40 carries out of that group, and then and then you want to see what your quarterback r- really does when the lights turn on, and so I think you're going to give him a lot of throws. I think you're going to give him a lot of opportunities. To, to put the ball in the air and to see how he manages pressure and see how he manages different situations. And so I could see um, a little bit of a vanilla offense in terms of variety, but in terms of play calling, balance, run, pass, mix, um, maybe slightly heavy on the run side, only slightly heavy on the run side, and then really try and figure out what you have at the quarterback position by by giving an an opportunity there.
0: Go the other way. Show everything in the playbook and make them prep for everything, even stuff you would never run against them. (laughs) Play the mind game.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that. And um, you know Andy Ludwig, and I know Andy Ludwig. That doesn't seem like that's in the Andy Ludwig personality. I mean, I think – to me, he Andy Ludwig is, and one of the great things about him is he is much more methodical, much more analytical. And um, I don't think that he, I don't think he likes to play games. Although I will say this, uh, when, when Utah played Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, uh, which was Andy Ludwig's last game and his first stint, uh, I thought that it was all of a sudden he became a different, like the playbook changed, and all of a sudden he became a different, um, slightly different coordinator, and they were doing things with the quarterback position of Brian Johnson that they just hadn't done during his during his time there. So, so he did throw a curveball in that game, and and that certainly was the right formula uh, against uh, Coach Saban in Alabama.
0: Well, Frank, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you every week all year long, talking to you football right here on The Zone.
1: Man, I, I really appreciate it. I love talking to you guys. I, just, I have one question. If, if we have two seconds, I have one question for, for PK. And DJ, you can jump in on this as well, because I know PK is a, is a golf guy. But, but I watched that tournament, and I watched DeChambeau, who is difficult to like, tell Cantley to stop walking or ask Cantley to stop walking. And I just want your thought. Is that the right thing to do, or is that the biggest, um, well, what, what's the appropriate word for DeChambeau? I mean, there's lots of them. Was that the, is the
0: it biggest? a sign of weakness, I think, is what you're trying to say?
1: That's a very that's a very nice way to put it. Yes, very
0: nice I way. know the other thing you're trying to say, and I'm glad you didn't say it. <laughs> yeah. Yach would have had to scramble and hit the dumb button. Everybody would have freaked well, out. Well,
2: it, is it a compound word? Is the first word chicken?
1: Pretty close (laughs) Yep
2: The great thing about that is Cantlay was not going to be denied If I was a gambler, once they went to OT I would have put DJ's financial report and history all on Cantlay And that's a substantial amount of money, Frank Everything, his entire portfolio is the word I'm looking for
1: Well, that's eight we're talking like eight figures, right? I mean, that's a big. That's a big. Thing. I don't. I don't so, even
0: want to think about the lack of bladder control I had if I had uh, wagered wagered it all on Cantley making one of those putts, which he made him. But man, repeatedly. I repeatedly, I would have been dying as he lined up another fifteen. Watching footers. Cantley play was watching <laughs> oh, like Kobe
2: it. or MJ in a shooting zone. He was dialed in. Mm-hmm. Completely, completely, and I still, I
0: don't have a stomach for that kind of thing, and I would have lost it. <laughs> Even though okay, it would have been so, the right thing to do, I would have lost it.
1: So was DeChambeau right, or was he just being deshambo I think this is the latter, is what I would say. Yeah. It didn't come across the right way. I mean, I think there's probably a way that you could say, you know, hey, Patrick, uh, you know, try to hit over here. Could you, <laughs> could you not? Walk for a second, or or some way, but the way. What that would he Tiger does have done?
0: Things, what would Tiger do Tiger He would have won it in regulation. Stepped,
1: <laughs> he would have, yeah, he would have won by twelve in regulation. He would have stepped away from the ball, and he would have just looked over his shoulder. Yes, I totally agree.
0: But he would have shot that that laser glare that would like fries an egg on the sidewalk, even when it's yeah. forty degrees out. And he looked, yep. and then he looked back at his ball, he would have gotten the tunnel vision, and he would have smoked that thing to within you know five feet of the pin. And then probably yeah. shot another death glare over his shoulder. Like, you know yeah. better, and you know you know better.
1: Spun the club, maybe walked over <laughs> to him and said something like, hey, did you see that shot? That was pretty good, wasn't it? You
0: know. <laughs> now stand still, so, comma.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, don't walk around anymore. <laughs> Frank, we yeah, appreciate yeah. it. Thanks a lot.
3: Absolutely,
0: guys. Talk to All you right. soon. Have a great week. Frank Dolce talking Utes. Dylan Colley's talking Cougars next. Stay with us. Now, let's get this party started.
3: This is Hans Olson and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. James Empey anchoring that offensive line for BYU. Jaron Hall's named the starter. You've been around him the last several years. How excited are you to see him get another opportunity to be the guy at BYU? And what can we expect from him week one?
1: Oh, I'm 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 super excited for him, and I'm I'm proud of the way our quarterback room competed this fall camp. Um, super excited for Jaron. He has a lot of poise, a lot of swagger, and he comes into the offense. Kind knowing what to do and where everybody's supposed
4: to be and you know i'm excited to see him as he keeps going you know this season and and as we get rolling but excited about him i think he does a lot of good things and and we're pumped about it
3: Hanson scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network
0: DJPK, it's 975 and 1280 the zone time to talk BYU football with Dylan Colley, former Cougar wide receiver joining us on the Smart Rain guest line it's no secret no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought that's why the Smart Rain guest, or the Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation find out more at smartrain.net Dylan good morning Good morning. How we doing? Good. Are you finally ready for some football game week? Enough of the I mean, uh, are... analysis and the guessing. An actual game. We are
2: back. We are back, and it feels good. All right, I'm going to do something stupid. I'm going to challenge a colleague Every time I've done that, I've lost. But I'm going to do it again. Dylan, you made the outrageous prediction about Zach Wilson. The floor is yours about Jaron Hall. <laughs> <laughs> And
4: and I I feel – I think the bad part is I feel good about this challenge.
2: Uh, (laughs) You're a (laughs) colleague.
4: The the interesting thing is when Jaron had the opportunity to kind of come in and the mindset, the personality, right, is all very, very similar to Zach. Um, But you look at the level of maturity and advancement in Jaron. And obviously, right, a little bit older. um, Obviously, a a family man in terms of his his beautiful wife and daughter. um, Jaron is one of the most athletic people I've ever been around. I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, the guy went and played baseball and had zero problems doing it. Um, you know, the ceiling for him is, is really unknown to everybody, right? How, how good can he be? He's going to be phenomenal. He's going to be extremely good. Um, the only real difference that you have between the two is, right, Jaron's just getting a later start. And so how fast does he hit that ceiling is, is kind of unknown, right, because he has to kind of grow into the potential. Now he gets this opportunity to play a full season as a starting quarterback. And, you know, obviously Kalani and and A-Rod have put their full trust in him. And so I think that team trusts him. He's a guy that's been around for a very long time um, and and has proved that he can be extremely successful. And so, you know, Obviously to, to sit there and say, Hey, is he the next Zach Wilson? I think that's that's unfair to do because Zach is obviously in his in a league of his own. But um Jaron is going to be extremely phenomenal. I don't think there's gonna be much of a, a, a beat skip uh you know, this, this year.
0: Do you think that all the quarterbacks who were in the program a year ago benefited from watching Zach be a football junkie, a film junkie, and realizing that there is one level where you're preparing, but if you really want to be excellent, you got to double down on that and go to a whole other level? Did guys learn that watching him in a way that you can be told it, but it just doesn't sink in?
4: Absolutely. I think, obviously, the big change – because I know I know Jaron was mentally preparing for games as he was the starting quarterback. That's there's no question about that. Jaron was ready every single week. He was putting that time in, right? He was putting that effort in. I think the biggest difference is is they got to see what Zach did right in the physical preparation. That's where the the set was kind of that's where the mark was set, right? And now Jaron's saying, you know what? Obviously, Zach did a pretty smart thing by going to work with John Beck and taking his game to the next level. Um, I need to go and do that as well, and, and that was obviously, right, the biggest difference um, and kind of the biggest advantage that that Jaron had, and, and you know probably a huge reason for his success uh, during fall camp and ultimately getting the nod. So I think that's the biggest kind of takeaway from last year was what are you doing outside physically to prepare. To make yourself not just an okay athletic quarterback, but a phenomenal quarterback all around.
2: One of the more interesting things I think you just said is the team trusts him. How important is that?
4: It's everything, right? It's it's very hard and not. There's no team in the country, I think, that is out there except maybe a Clemson, right, that has a quarterback that goes from being a top three pick to going to the second guy and everyone being like, yeah, we're not, we're not really, we're not skipping a beat. There isn't some level set difference. Um, And so, you know, where a lot of guys can come in and say, Hey, this isn't, this is going to be rough, right? Everyone's walking around on tippy toes in the locker room saying, guys, like remember, like we don't have Zach. Whereas today I know people are in that locker room saying, Hey, (laughs) This is Jaron's theme, and Jaron's ready to rock. And so, um, that's going to be a huge difference in carrying the momentum from last year, and saying, "Hey, all of this talk, all of this Big 12 talk, all of this national spotlight and attention, right? Jaron's not just the person that's going to help us win games. Jaron's the one that's going to help us maintain the momentum that we have from last year."
0: Dylan Colley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. So with Jaron, I am nervous because I saw him get a couple of concussions real quick, and I didn't even think he got hit that, that much on the second one. Easy for me to say I wasn't the one getting hit. But as much as that worries me, I get confidence from the fact that he didn't play – a year ago, and so I've read a bunch of stuff that, hey, the further you get between them, the better off you are, so I think that's a huge positive. Uh, I'm not a doctor, so I only know what I, re- you know what I read and what I hear watching football and watching other players. I wasn't even pre-med on Friday nights at Arizona State like PK. <laughs> at least he's got some background. What's your level of competence in Jaron's ability to stay healthy and stay away from a concussion that's going to turn all of our stomachs?
4: And yeah, that's, that's, that's always, that's always the question. Right. And, um, I think the biggest part of that ultimately is weird as this might be and as odd as this might be to bring it into sports, but it's going to be, I think it really just comes down to his faith. Right. And, and knowing that he's being watched out for and hopefully is, um, you know, mentally and physically prepared to take some hits, um, because, you know, there are a lot of things that happened when, when you're not ready and, and you tighten up and your body tightens up and physically, you know, uh, if you're going around on your sippy toes and hopefully hoping not to get hit, that's when you leave yourself the most open for, for those types of injuries, right? And so I think as long as he stays confident, as long as he allows himself to take some hits, especially early on, right, I think we're better off in the long run and maintaining kind of his health and staying physical. If he goes out there and everyone's on eggshells about it, I, I think we're going to see a lot more opportunity and him being a lot more prone to, to getting hurt. But um, obviously the time has been huge. He's been taking care of his body, and it's a matter of you know just uh, going out there and still kind of going balls to the wall so that you're not uh, you're not playing tight and finding yourself in that situation where you're going to get injured you know, just because mentally you're scared.
2: So looking at this BYU offense, you know, they lost Dax Mill, and obviously he was a big-time receiver, and Zach Wilson doing all the throwing. So you'd think that, wow, that's a lot of production. You lost offensive line, uh, at least one to the NFL, and you think that's a blow. And, you know, it is, obviously, no question about that. But I look at the number of guys returning and combined with the the Nakua brothers, who transferred in as receivers, if I look at receiver, tight ends, and running backs, I believe that in terms of depth and talent, this is one of the better groups maybe in the history of BYU football. Returning, what do you expect out of this offense? Yeah, I, a lot. Like I, I think this this offense has
4: the ability to do. Extremely special things against the schedule that they're going with. Um, you know, you look at you look at the depth, right? That you're talking about, and it is it is a lot of people who have produced a lot of statistics and a lot of success on the football field, all the way from top to bottom, right? From you know, Neil has been playing consistently. Gunner has been playing consistently. You know, the Nakua brothers have been playing consistently at a top, top level of visual and football. Um, And so, you know, there really isn't, you're not coming into this game with a wondering of, ooh, how's this person going to play? You know exactly how this person's going to play. You know how each person's going to play against the University of Arizona, right? Because there's a history to it. And they all have had experiences with, uh, with U of A. You look at the tight ends. You look at Isaac, right, the success that he has, the confidence that he has, Dallin Holker. I mean, I don't think people understand. Dallin Holker and Isaac Rex have the opportunity, right, to be the best one-two punch uh, at tight end that BYU has had in probably 10 years since Dennis Pitt and Andrew George, right? Like, those are two tight ends that are playing you know, one, extremely physical, extremely large in physical stature, but play at a receiver-type athletic ability, right? Like, that's unstoppable. You can't, it doesn't matter who you're playing, you can't defend both of those guys. Um, and then you top it off with, you know, uh, Peeney and Tyler Algier at running back. You know, for them, the biggest thing, that's my concern of health. I, is how can the running backs stay healthy? How can we make sure that these two guys are given the opportunity to stay healthy? Um, because if they stay healthy, I think that's the health this year. Whereas last year it was obviously Zach. If Peamy and Tyler Algier stay stay healthy, I'm I'm not sure what defense is going to have a good opportunity to stop to stop BYU's offense.
0: What do you know about the University of Arizona? Or do you even want to know anything about that football team? Is game one just all about yourself and your own team and how they play?
4: No. I think you have, you have two teams on two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? You have a team that garnered a ton of national attention last year, right, is riding this wave, is on this absolute train of, uh, of, of spotlight and success. And then you have a team who didn't win a single game last year in their conference and only played five games, right? And so you need to understand the other side of it. You need to know that, hey, guys, if BYU comes into this game and this game is close or this game is kind of uh, their spots where it's like, you know, Arizona is playing extremely well and they play better than BYU, which is I highly doubt going to happen, then it's honestly kind of like an eye-opening worry, right? <laughs> uh, because of the way Arizona has been the last few years and what they've kind of had to overcome now um, with with someone leaving and now Jed Fish coming in and really kind of pressing restart. You have two freshman quarterbacks who are going to be splitting time. Um, you know, with what is writing on this season for BYU. You better understand who they are, how they play, right? The mental side of of their worries and their self conscious attributes, uh, so that you can take full advantage. Because, to be honest with you, this game this game should not be close.
2: A lot of BYU kids on the roster are from Pac twelve territories. You being one of them, you're not on the roster, but obviously you grew up in California and you followed the Pac ten slash twelve probably your whole life, like we all have. Uh, how much extra fun do you think it's going to be playing five Pac-12 teams this season to where you can really compare yourself against a bunch of teams, uh, including from the South Division where the Utes are in? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, there
4: is, it's exciting football, right? And there's a level of athleticism that we get to show that we can keep up with. Um, and that BYU gets to kind of put themselves on a pedestal that says, "Hey, all the discussion that's gone on about being a Power Five, uh, you know, we're we're right up there." And I think, outside of the University of Utah, right, we've done we've done pretty well against the Pac-12. I right? think we'd find ourselves in a top spot in the Pac-12, especially the Pac-12 now. Um, and so. You know, this is this is real proving ground to take advantage of this type of opportunity and kind of prove out where where BYU stands on a national level.
0: All right, before University of Washington fans jump in and start saying stuff, we will uh, let you go, Dylan. We appreciate the time, as always, and we will talk to you every week, all season long, and PK will constantly come up and challenge you to say outrageous things because you're a Collie, and he would expect nothing less than definitive statements.
4: It's done. I'm all for it. <laughs> all right. Excited okay, so to be with you guys.
0: Dylan Collie, former BYU wide receiver, joins us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big news breaking in the NFL this hour. We will tell you about that next. Stay with us on 97.5 at
3: 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Utes and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes get set for an in-state showdown against Weber State at Rice Eccles Stadium. Catch the Ute pregame show Thursday at 4 followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
0: Join the big show Friday at the warehouse from 2 to 7 p.m. Prices so low, it'll blow your mind. Oh, I'm ready. Boom!
2: And we got earth-shaking NFL news that can add to a double
0: boom, which would be then boom, boom! The New England Patriots Wow, Bill Belichick does things in style, doesn't he, PK? First, he picks a quarterback. Mac Jones is the guy. And then, just to make sure there's no wavering and everybody's clear, he releases Cam Newton. Goodbye. See you later. Thanks wow. for playing. It's a cold, hard world. And oh, there was shit. plenty of speculation about how this was going to go. And, you know, Mac Jones isn't going to sit for a year like Jordan Love, and his chance will come. I actually watched one of the talking heads on one of the talking head shows on TV say Mac is going to get his chance, and it'll be earlier than most people think, but it's not going to be right at the start of the year. <clears throat> right. <laughs> I know, right? Where's the accountability? <laughs> Cam Newton waved no safety net. We're moving on. Now, I don't know their cap situation and how much money figures into it, uh, but I didn't hear anybody saying not only is Cam not going to start, he's not even going to be on the team on Labor Day.
2: Well, to me, this screams a coach who has the ultimate job security, and he doesn't have to worry about getting fired. And obviously Bill Belichick does not have to worry about that for all he's accomplished. He's in the running. We don't really identify greatest coach the way we do player. But clearly, Belichick is there, so he could do whatever he wants. And I don't mean that he's going to be loose and just do dumb things. That's not the point. But the point is, he has the ultimate job security, and the NFL, you know, coaches come and go so quickly. They call it Black Monday, the first Monday after the season, when we usually see several coaches fired just about every year. And Bill Belichick is beyond that, so he can take this risk. And obviously to him, he probably doesn't think it's much of a risk. And he's the one who's there every day evaluating literally every single thing that's going on. And Mac Jones, he believes, is his guy. But if it doesn't work, Belichick's job is now is not on the line. I wonder, pick a precarious coach right now in the NFL. There's so many of them. Uh, that are you know one or two years away from being fired, uh, Kingsbury down there in uh, Arizona, uh, they they got to get going here, right? They got to be better than they have been, and so he hasn't proven himself by any stretch, right? That's just one that comes to mind. Pete Carroll is is also in the Bill Belichick mode, uh, but the rest of them, yeah, How about you know,
0: Mike McCarthy in Dallas,
2: I think his job's on the line. I
0: feel I feel like there'd be a little heat on that seat.
2: Yeah. So I don't know that uh, those guys can make this decision, but Belichick can, and it's bold. And he probably went to Kraft and said, listen, man, this is what we need to do. Here's why we need to do it. And Kraft looks like he says, well, you, you're you the one who makes that call. <laughs> yeah, Go right. ahead. And yeah, Mac Jones was going to play. There was no question. You really can't put the Jordan Love situation in there because you got Aaron Rodgers yep. and Cam Newton. Is not Aaron Rodgers, obviously. So. Okay, but
0: maybe Kansas City would have been a better idea where Alex Smith kept the job for one year. And Alex is healthier and more productive than Cam Newton was. So even that isn't a perfect example. No, but Kansas, more City, more likely, more Kansas City believed they had the next big thing, and they were right. But they waited a year, even though they had the next big thing in Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid waited a year. Yeah,
2: and Andy Reid has a rep, too. He's another coach that is in no uh, danger of being fired. So those guys making these right moves. But I think it's a bold move. I also think quarterbacks are more prepared to play today as a younger quarterback. And unless you've got clearly a better guy, you know, it's almost like the colleges, you know, unless the older guy is clearly better, you go with the younger guy. And so, if it's close, and Mac Jones, you, you thought he was going to be your future, what would would what he go, 15th uh, there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's middle, and, first round, 15th. Yeah, and so, all sorts of success. At Alabama, He reminded me of uh, Tyler Huntley, the way Huntley played so well as his senior year, watching Mac Jones do what he did at Alabama. Now the talent was so superior that you wonder, you know, is it like the quarterbacks in high school where we're just better than you, and so I can just drop back in the pocket and the play that we drew up just makes it uh, easy to to accomplish. I mean, they had a Heisman Trophy winner, and he wasn't even the best receiver on the team because the other guy got injured earlier in the season, right? So they had all sorts of talent, and Harris, a great running back, blah, blah, blah. We all know about Alabama, but I I, I actually like it. I don't know about cutting Newton, but well, I actually so, like going yeah.
0: with Jones. There's so many things we don't know here. Um, does does Bill Belichick want to go without the safety net and be all in, and it makes it easier for everybody on the team to not have drama in the locker room and second guess and all that because it's over, it's just done? Or is this because they need just a little bit of cap flexibility because of some other things they want to do on the roster? Or did Cam Newton want this because he thinks, you know, his agent thinks, hey, there's a chance for him to go somewhere else and play. How will that play out? We we were just talking earlier this morning about, uh, yeah, I know, that would be dicey, but I can't rule it out. Uh, We were just talking earlier this morning, you were saying Telling the story about Trevor Riley going to bed, hey, if if we're letting you go, you'll know by such and such a time, right? And the time comes and goes, and you go to bed, and you wake up the next morning, and they call you in, and yeah, you made our roster, but when we saw who other people cut, we wanted one of those guys, so sorry, dude, but you got to go. You know, yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there may be another team that's already reached out to Cam's agent. There's so many things unknown now. We just gotta let them play out. You know, on this side of the country, I don't think anybody's wired in enough to be able to answer any of these questions. And it may be the first thing. That was the first thing that came to my mind was, hey, I want to divide a locker room. It's relatively close, but I'm gonna go with the guy who's got a decade of future in front of him. Not a guy who's over 30 who, yeah. you know, the time is now.
2: I wouldn't be worried about a divided locker room because Belichick will cut you. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> he <laughs> <so>. will, too.
2: <laughs> uh, so but I think better, it's an unorthodox whatever, move. whatever
0: side you're on, it better be on Bill's side. But it's an unorthodox move, so one of these things had to be driving uh, it. Or multiple. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So, and then there we go. I mean, if you if you want this guy to be your guy... Get him in there because, you know, I don't think that the Patriots necessarily are going to be a Super Bowl contender this year, but who's to say in the next year or two? And I love the fact that Belichick, it seems like he puts all of his cards to the table, which means he's not stepping away. And he's accomplished all this and everything, whatever you need to accomplish as a head coach in the NFL or any sport for that matter, Belichick has done it. And so you would think that, I mean, he can go do whatever he wants, but I take this as that I'm here and I'm getting older, but I'm like a Nick Saban. I'm not going anywhere. I mean, I still want this job and I want it bad and I want to win bad and I want to show everybody. If you turn around and you win, I mean, we thought that all oh, Brady or Belichick, right? And so Brady wins the Super Bowl. Oh, it's Brady. But who's to say in two or three years when Brady, I assume at some point he's not going to continue to play, and Belichick can coach for, who knows, another five to seven to ten years, maybe? I mean, it seems outrageous, but it's possible. So if he finds a way to win with another guy. All right, I raise you, Tom, and one-up you here because I take this one kid, and, and in two or three years he's ready to go, and the team, we've managed the cap and all that, which is so important at the NFL level, and here we are again. Wow. That would be something. So I'm excited for this move. I'm excited. I'm always excited for the start of the NFL season, me and five trillion other guys. And so here it adds a story. And we love, we're in the story business, you and me and Yach and everybody on our station. We love stories. And this is a great story. We're not going to obsess over it because we go more with the local stuff. But you can very, very well bet all of us are going to be watching Mac Jones when he makes his debut. Absolutely.
0: We talk all the time about how things in pro sports change. In three years, things are so different. It doesn't matter if it's the NBA, if it's the NFL, whatever. Three years ago, in the NFL, the Chargers were... uh just moved. The Raiders hadn't moved yet. Andrew Luck was quarterbacking the Indianapolis Colts to a 10-win season. We didn't know he was going to retire and walk away. They didn't win the division because Houston had 11 wins, and Houston's only lost their star lineman, their star wide receiver, and their star quarterback is just going to practice and walking around. And everybody else is going on in life without him, and he's facing a gazillion lawsuits. I mean, things change all the time. And so. If if in three years as Mac Jones move pays off, then it was a brilliant move. Yeah, no question. So and and Bill Belichick can certainly coach three more years. That's not a stretch. Right. So, all right, DJ and PK, it's ninety seven five and twelve eighty. The Zone got a lot of Cougar fans pumped up for Saturday, and they're going to be there. And we'll tell you about that next. Stay with us.